G'day and welcome to On The Road with Mike and Andy, the number one weekly Australian podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. You can listen to On The Road on the Australian Big Rig Roadshow and via podcast on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud. Search for On The Road Aussie Trucking Podcast and hit subscribe. On The Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, leading the way with specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks, and industry advocacy for more than 45 years. Major podcast sponsor, NTI, nti.com.au. We've got a truckload, pun intended, of great stuff for you on this week's show. We bring you all the information we promised last week about how to enter the fantastic TruckWiz app giveaway promotion. A little later, Mike chats with NTI specialist Adam Gibson about the wealth of information gleaned from the NTARC reports regarding truck safety. In something to talk about, leading consultant Dr Vincent Ho shares with us the importance of maintaining good gut health when we're out on the road. He talks about diet and regular testing to ensure we all look after ourselves the best we possibly can. Plus, of course, all the latest news courtesy of Big Rigs. And apparently you guys loved our featured song last week from the lovely Caroline Taylor Knight. So at your request to kick off this week's mega show, here's Caroline with another gem from her album, Me Again. This is Caroline Taylor Knight and you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy on the Big Rig Roadshow. This is my song Enough from my album Me Again. Trick of the 
was Caroline Taylor Knight. Check out her website at carolinetaylornight.com. G'day, this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. You'll recall in last week's episode in our Something to Talk About segment, Mike, Tones and Macca talked about the fantastic TruckWiz truck navigational app. They announced a big promotional giveaway for TruckWiz and we promised we'd fill you in on all the details of the giveaway and how to enter this week. So here it is, all you need to know about the TruckWiz promotion. This giveaway that you've been talking about on your Facebook page, I'll let the cat out of the bag, mate. I'm going to give away a couple of six-month subscriptions too. Are you now? I don't remember being in this meeting, mate. <laughs> Uh, we're having the meeting now. I've already spoken to Macca, mate. You're outvoted two to one. Fair enough. Yeah, how would you like to give away your two then? Well, mate, what I'd like to do is to get listeners to text me and let me know that they've heard about you and go in the draw that way. So if they text me on 0450 that's 0450 and then we'll go into the draw so that'll give everyone a go no matter when they hear it on the Big Rig Road Show because Simon's airing it several times a week now. I count how many there are and I'll just get you to tell me a random number and that'll be the winner. We'll do two. Oh, that sounds good. I like just random numbers pulled out of the hat. I'm not giving anything away, but I generally go for the number seven. Is that going to come up? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'll do. What are you guys doing? We've got it in the app stores at the moment for $99 plus GST up until Friday the 13th of next month. So, yeah, Friday the 13th of November, that is. The main promo with it, though, apart from signing up for $99, is if you jump on the app store, whether it be Google Play or the Apple App Store, and leave a positive review, hopefully five stars. And don't forget to take a screenshot of your review and send it into the TruckWiz, Tones Trucking Up Facebook page, then you'll actually go into the draw to win a leather logbook cover with either your choice of the Tones Truck and Stories logo or TruckWiz logo, as well as your name imprinted on it. We'll also chuck in a coffee mug, but we won't just leave it with that. We'll have four runners-up, six-month subscriptions to the app. Anyone, obviously, that's already got the app, will just take it off whatever subscription you've got at the moment or add to it. So that's pretty well the promo that we've got going on at the moment. Nice and simple one, and at the same time, discounted price of $99 for a year subscription to the best navigational app in Australia. There you go. Then it's cheaper than upgrading my Garmin with new maps. Once you've got the app with us, you just update the maps as they come in. No extra charges whatsoever. Thanks very much for that, Tony. No worries at all. It's really that simple, guys, to go into the draw to win one of two free six-month subscriptions to the TruckWiz app, courtesy of us here at On The Road, Send a text to 0450-314-398, include the code word TRUCKWIZ and your name. To go into the draw to win the leather embossed logbook cover and coffee mug, or one of the four runner-up prizes of a six-month subscription to the TRUCKWIZ app, go to either the Apple App Store or Google Play, whatever's your preference. Sign up for the discounted 12-month subscription to the app, Leave a positive review and don't forget to screenshot your review and send it into the TruckWiz Tones Trucking App Facebook page to go into the draw. You've got until Friday, November 13 to enter, guys, so no time to hesitate. Jump onto it now to ensure that you're in with a chance to win one of these great TruckWiz App prizes. Stay tuned to On The Road to hear the announcement of the winners of the TruckWiz App giveaway. Hi, Farah from NTI here. Our National Truck Accident Research Centre releases a report into major truck accidents across the country. It's a big report and there's a lot to take in. So this week, we have NTI's Transport and Risk Engineer and author of that report, Adam Gibson, breaking down the key findings. Adam Gibson is a Transport and Logistics Risk Engineer with NTI. Now, we all know who NTI are. They're one of the largest transport insurers in the country. Adam specialises in looking at all those things that assess risk. Adam, how are you, mate? Very well, Mike. Thank you very much for having me on. 
My job is to use our data to understand the transport industry. We have a wonderful position where because of our size, we see enough trends and incidents that we can report on things that might not be visible to an individual transport operator or driver. I've had made available to me a series of NTARC or commonly called Natasi reports. And I've had a bit of a read through them and they show me a lot of trends in the industry. And that's information that's been generated from sources that you have for yourself and for NTI. Why do NTI do that, mate? Tell us a bit about these reports and why you do it. So the background of this, I have to give absolute credit to my predecessor, a gentleman by the name of Owen Driscoll. Back in the early 2000s, Owen was advocating for better accident investigation and better understanding of truck crashes. He did some work with the Australian Transport Safety Bureau in, I think, 2001, but that unfortunately didn't proceed to the ATSB having responsibility for road transport crashes. So in 2003, Owen started the Natasi Major Accident Investigation Report series. So it looks at truck crashes over $50,000 total incident value, we term major, and it looks at what trends, what patterns we see in that data, what's changing year on year. And I've got to give a lot of credit to Owen. It would have been a hard ask to explain to both people inside of NTI and the rest of the world why people would want to read a 30 or 40 page report about truck crashes. But over the next 16 years of Owen's stewardship, and I picked up in 2019, it's grown to be a unique in the world resource around trends in heavy vehicle crashes. And at my time at the NHVR, we very much sat there and waited for it to come out because it told us about the effectiveness of heavy vehicle safety regulation in a way that no other resource in Australia, or to be honest, the world really does. And then as to why NTI does it, I'm so proud to work at NTI. I know that sound, that's the sort of throwaway line that a lot of people would say, but NTI really does believe in this industry and long-term support of transport associations and other initiatives like the Burren Buttock Hay Run. I've never worked at another organisation that actually lives the slogans that are stuck up on the lunchroom wall. The connection between NTI and our customers is much closer than I could ever manage to convey probably in this format. We are uniquely placed to be able to help. And if we can provide the data that helps get one more person home safe, then that's a success. Well, that's what it's all about really, Adam, isn't it? I've heard you say several times that no one goes to work planning to be involved in an accident, but when it happens, we really do want to deal with it the best way we can. But the goal is to try and get people to be safe and get home without having the accident in the first place, isn't it? Really. And one of the challenges is that whilst because of the size of the transport industry, we still see a lot of serious and at times fatal crashes, the frequency for a single person is quite low. You know, if we're talking a million people employed in road transport, we say somewhere around probably 700,000 as, as full-time drivers. If there's 200 heavy vehicle involved fatalities each year, that means there's only a what's that, one in 3,000 chance that any one individual will be involved in one of those events. And so you can't learn from things at that rate. Whereas because we can aggregate up a bunch of data from so many more incidents, we can start to tell you about risks inside of your business or inside of your working day that you might not be able to see from perspective of the individual. So that then comes back to the individual topics of these individual reports that I've seen. So what do you see as far as fatal crashes, inattention, distraction, inappropriate speed, driver error, fatigue and driver deaths? I mean, they're all fairly dark sort of subjects, particularly the driver death ones. But the reality of it is, Adam, the problems can't be solved if we don't know the answers to the questions. I mean, the real answers, not the ones we want to hear. Isn't that right? I think I often cause my marketing team some grief is they, they want to tell happy stories and I'm always talking about crashes and what are often quite unhappy events. As an overarching story, I track heavy vehicle involved and I'm stress every time that means involved, not caused, deaths per billion tonne kilometres of freight. And that allows us to compare between years over time and importantly between jurisdictions. 
So we can compare state by state within Australia and we can compare internationally how Australia's road transport industry performs on that measure. So how do we do internationally, Adam? That is a really fantastic question. So we've seen, say, the 16 years we've been doing that Natasha report, we've dropped from about two heavy vehicle-involved deaths per billion tonne kilometres down to about 0.8, 0.9 deaths per billion tonne kilometres in Australia. We see somewhere in the range of about 1.7 deaths per billion tonne kilometres in the United States around two and a half deaths per billion tonne kilometres in Germany and around, I think, uh, three and three and a half for New Zealand and France. So those are pretty comparable economies. Mm. Obviously, there's really nowhere else in the world that compares to the Australian road transport task. We don't have lots of other economies that have the spaces we do and the vehicle combinations we do. But on that measure, we certainly have one of the safest road transport industries in the world and probably, unless I can find another market, I want to check on the Scandinavians, particularly Sweden, we probably have the safest heavy vehicle road transport industry in the world. Mm. Well, I'm exceptionally proud of that. I really love Australian road transport. We've got so many amazing, innovative people doing seriously cool stuff. Every time you think you've seen the next and final innovation, someone comes up with something new again. But I have to temper that positive story there against we still have one of the most dangerous occupations to go to work in Australia. If we lost as many teachers or nurses in a year as we do truck drivers, there would be a royal commission and it would be considered a pressing emergency. So, yeah, what are we going to do about those numbers? So on one hand, I like to tell a positive story about the success that we've essentially halved the number of heavy vehicle involved road deaths per billion tonne kilometres of freight in Australia over the last 15, 20 years, and it continues to trend generally downwards. But on the flip side, we haven't actually made that much progress on getting our people home safe. So Adam, given the availability of all these reports, they obviously show you a series of trends that are leading to the results we're getting and give us those comparable numbers with the other countries. So what are you seeing when you look at all the data? The first thing I'd say is, I'll start with a positive story. In general, our frequency of at-fault crashes, at-fault major crashes, has been going down over time. The overall frequency of us having large loss, over $50,000 crashes, has remained reasonably stable, but more of those crashes are third-party at fault. So it's more crashes, particularly cars crashing into trucks. And that reflects, again, positively on the transport industry. The other thing that's been a positive is we've seen over the last 10, 15 years a dramatic reduction in the proportion of our large loss crashes that result from fatigue. It was about one in four of our large loss crashes in the early 2000s. And in the 2019 data, in the 2020 report, it dropped down to 9.6%, so fewer than one in 10. So that's a a big improvement, and that's something I I think we should celebrate. Mm. I have to balance that, though, in that fatigue remains the largest cause of fatal truck driver crashes in our portfolio. So it's about one in three of our crashes where our insured driver loses their life as a result of fatigue. So it's a bit of a balanced story there that fatigue has improved greatly. Mm. But if you do fall asleep while driving a truck, it is still an exceptionally dangerous set of circumstances. So we're really passionate about seeing what we can do further there. I'd love to at least halve that number over the next three or four years. Some of the challenges, though, we've seen a rise in attention and distraction crashes quite dramatically over the last four years. It's hard not to feel that technology-based distraction, we're talking really mobile phones predominantly here, has to be contributing towards that. One of the things that I think supports that theory, at least, is that when we look at our crashes involving our insured drivers where they're under 25 years of age, we see a vastly higher rate of inattention and distraction crashes. We know we have broader social challenges, light and heavy vehicles, around mobile telephone use and younger people Mm. because they've simply always been glued to their phones since potentially their early teens or maybe even younger. And that's important for me is to understand that truck drivers are people too and to communicate that across to road authorities and and regulators that there's a, a lot of problems we face here where the solution doesn't exist solely inside of the transport industry. 
that if we're going to address mobile telephone use in heavy vehicles, we need to start by addressing mobile telephone use generally. We still haven't achieved the negative stigmatization of mobile telephone use that we achieved with, say, drink driving through a lot of the campaigns of the 80s and 90s, that I'm not confident that if I pick up my phone while driving, that someone's going to call me out and say that's not appropriate. Whereas if I pick a bottle of Jack Daniels, I'm pretty confident that people are going to say that's not on and we need to achieve that change. Stay with us. We'll be back for the conclusion to this great chat between Mike and Adam right after this. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Adam's been helping us out with understanding a lot of these NTARC reports that are put together by NTI. In New South Wales, they've taken the approach now where all these cameras exist to take photos of people driving and using the phones. I don't know what sort of an effect that's going to have. I mean, I appreciate that other states are looking at that too. I believe Victoria is looking at it, and I think Queensland is looking at that technology as well, aren't they? Yeah, so there's three things we need here. We need penalty regime that reflects the seriousness of mobile phone usage on road safety. Yeah, exactly. People are dying. We are losing our brothers, our sisters, our mothers and fathers because we as a society aren't willing to put our telephone down while we're driving. So we need penalty regimes that reflect that. So we've seen Queensland adopt a $1,000, I think, penalty and four demerit points in Queensland. New South Wales is five demerit points, but a smaller financial penalty. WA has partly matched that penalty regime, although it's different for talking on your phone versus using social media and things where you're scrolling on the screen. So that's the first part. The second part I think we need to see is a risk of being detected, that a a serious penalty doesn't act as a deterrent unless there's a very real prospect of it actually being enforced. And that's where the camera-based technology really comes into play. But the final thing, and this is borne out in previous campaigns, and obviously drink driving is the most direct parallel, you need to have that social support. If the public don't believe that the penalty regime and detection is appropriate and sensible, that it's not proportional to the risk, then they won't support it. And so we need to have that national awareness campaign along the lines of, uh, if you drink and drive, you're a bloody idiot. That is what's missing so far, at least. And I would implore state and federal transport ministers through the COAG process to make that a priority. So can you tell us what you're seeing in the report about fatigue and a little bit more information to help some guys understand what we can do to help us out on the road? Probably the first thing I'd like to start with is is what I mean when I say fatigue inside of that Natasi report. Unequivocally, I'm not talking about work hours. When I say that a crash resulted from fatigue, That's because on the assessment of all of the available evidence, which includes the driver's version of events, the incident scene photographs, dash camera footage if it's available, whatever else we have on hand, that it would appear that as a result of the driver falling asleep, the vehicle has either struck an object or left the road. Mm. These are crashes where the driver is at best having a micro sleep and at worst is sound asleep at the wheel. These are not work hour breaches. As a trend over time, we've seen the proportion of our large loss incidents, over $50,000, drop from around one in four to around one in 10 and still slowly trending downwards. And so that's a positive. As an industry, we are having fewer serious fatigue crashes. But why it remains probably my greatest concern is it's still the single largest killer of our insured drivers. 
that around just over one in three of our insured driver deaths in 2019 was the result of fatigue. And so that makes it a, a very big priority for us. Mm. The challenges here are big. I mean, there's no easy answers around fatigue management. Yeah. My view is the first thing we need to understand is this is not a work issue alone. This is a, a whole of driver, whole of life issue that we need drivers that are healthy, both physically and mentally. We need drivers that are well-rested and drivers that importantly here feel supported and empowered in their workplace. If you're afraid for your job and you don't feel supported by your management, then the risk of you making a bad decision around keeping driving goes up exponentially. Mm. So there is a number of issues there around workplace behaviours and support. The second part also, there is that decision-making. Drivers need to make a, a conscious decision to err on the side of safety. This is not a space where you get many second chances. Mm. Once that truck is leaving that roadway, it's just a roll of the dice. Maybe you get lucky that the truck stays upright and you walk away, and maybe you don't. And that is a roll of the dice one that simply cannot afford. It's probably more like Russian roulette than, than rolling dice. Mm. The final thing I'll say there is technology. And I know this has been pretty controversial and, and my issue for this is I think mostly about the messaging and how it's been understood and rolled out. Technology doesn't solve this problem, it provides a backstop. It's like a reserve parachute. If you're relying on technology like seeing machines to get you to your destination regularly, it's a bit like a skydiver deploying his reserve parachute every single time he gets out of the plane. Yeah, you made it, but sooner or later that reserve parachute is going to fail you as well and the worst is going to happen. There's a, a large fleet who were an early adopter of this tech. I spoke with their drivers and what they told me is that they now use it quite differently. What they're doing is they're pulling over and taking their rest breaks because they think in the next 10 or 15 minutes they might trigger a fatigue alert. And so they're having a very, very low rate. And that's how that technology should be used shouldn't be using our backups to become our primary risk controls. Mm. The other nice thing about that technology is it does actually help us go back to those first things that I said about happy and healthy drivers. Every fleet that we're talking to that's rolling this out is finding drivers that have got underlying health conditions, particularly sleep apnea. We clearly have a significant issue in road transport with undiagnosed sleep apnea. And a number of stories, including a very close personal friend of mine who have been diagnosed and subsequently been treated for sleep apnea, their quality of life just improves out of sight. This mate of mine, after he got his CPAP machine, just changed. It was like he was 10 years younger. He dropped about 10 or 15 kilos over the next three months because he just had so much more energy and he was so much more active during the day. A weird unintended consequence of having this tech and this awareness of the guys that are struggling to stay awake because they are literally exhausted will be happier, longer, healthier lives, happier home lives, better general health. So there's a bunch of positives here. The challenges I've seen, fleets that regard this as a compliance tool to be used by management, not as a safety tool to be used by their drivers. And I think changing that focus to say, hey, yeah, we're going to be aware of these events and we'll have discussions. Hey, what happened here? What do you think? is this an issue? What's going on is the right approach rather than saying, oh, you've had three alerts, one more alert and we're standing you down. That's the wrong mindset to take for this technology. I would be happier, honestly, if the first response was the driver taking it up to management. Hey, I had this event. I don't think it was real. I was just looking at the mirror, looking at my third trailer. Yeah, I looked away for more than the threshold, but it, you know, this is the same spot I always do it. And management could just tick off and say, oh, yep, that's not of concern. That's the right approach. The moment it becomes a them and us battle, we're, we're missing the opportunity that exists here to get everyone home safe. Yeah, 100%. So Adam, what are these reports telling you about inappropriate speed and how that's affecting the accident rate? Anything that we can learn from the trends, mate? Yeah, great question. So inappropriate speed crashes uh, mostly take two forms. We either have what are called untripped rollovers. So that's where the vehicle's in its lane, inside wheels come off the ground and the combination or parts thereof fall onto their side and slide to a stop. Or less commonly where because of the speed that the vehicle can't negotiate a corner and it might have a big understeer and end up in the scrub. But comfortably more common are, are those untripped rollovers. I'll be clear, again, this does not mean the vehicle was speeding. Most of these crashes, almost all in fact, are the vehicle from telematics data where it's available, we know that the vehicle was doing less than the speed limit on that road, 
it was just going too fast to be able to make it safely around that corner. And I'm comfortable that drivers know the reasons why these crashes occur. We've got high center of gravity loads. We've got a bunch of time pressure. That combination there itself is the heart of the problem. There are some other factors that come into play as well, though. As we reduce the tear mass on combinations, we tend to make them less torsionally rigid. So the driver through the seat of his pants gets less feedback. And also in Australia, we run a lot of combinations that aren't torsionally coupled. So a B-double through the fifth wheels, every trailer is coupled together for roll. So they all have to roll as one. Whereas something like an A-double, obviously around the ring feeder coupling, that can roll separately. So you're not getting any feedback through the seat of your pants on what's happening on those rear trailers. So there's a few things we can do to positively influence it. Firstly, choose the right vehicle and the right combination. There's been some really fantastic work done in the logging industry in this space who had a huge rollover problem and not only the crashes, but were killing a significant number of their people to redesign some of their timber skills. They're running logs out of the forest to greatly reduce the load height and in turn reduce the center of gravity. Looking at things like where can we use a drop deck rather than a flat deck? Where can we run lower profile tires? Just anything that can get that load height down improves the stability and the dynamics of those vehicles. Yeah, looking towards B combinations rather than A combinations, the torsional coupling provides that feedback. It's not perfect. The wonderful Alan Pincott out of Victoria has been great with the forestry industry, makes it clear, as we know, that combinations roll from the rear. And by the time that you can feel it from the driver's seat, it's already gone. And that makes it a problem because if you can't find the limit through driving experience, the only way you can find where the limit was is by pitching a combination off into the scenery. That's a very, very tough and dangerous way to learn. And so there's one opportunity here that I'm very big on. Modern smart braking equipped combinations have the ability to log when you have what they call level one and level two events. A level one event is where you feel the, the muscles in your stomach tense up. You're like, oh, oh, am I going a bit quick through here? And it's normal to have some small number of those. A level two event is where wheels on somewhere in the unit, normally on the rear trailer, have left the ground. And that means that the stability control system is throwing at all the stops to try to keep that unit on the road and keep it stable. You should be having very, very few of those. But that data is logged into the system, which means as a driver, you can have that made available to you. You might actually need to go and tell your bosses that this data even exists and say, hey, can we get downloads of that? Because once you do, you can understand how close you came. If you can match it up with telematics data, which corner is the problem? Not Maybe not just for you, but for your fleet as a whole. And we can lead upwards here. We can have the drivers informed around how much of a margin for error they've got, how close they're coming, and have honest decisions. I'd love to see a toolbox talk inside each fleet where they're like, these three corners are the ones that are the biggest risk to us. Let's talk about what we do there. The final thing I'll say is this is a whole of supply chain problem. You need to make sure that your loaders are communicating to your drivers if there's something different about the load. If you've got a load they can't inspect, shipping containers are the classic here, the people packing that load know what is and is not appropriate. And if we get all of this right, we can keep these trucks on their wheels and get everyone home safe. And that's really the goal here. Just to cover a couple of the points that are in the report that I've read, and to correct a couple of the little myths, these drivers generally have these accidents. They aren't new blokes. They've got 12 years of experience or more, and they're usually single vehicle accidents, aren't they? So it's often said that these are very experienced operators, and I didn't think that they'd be the one that would have an accident like this. Is that a fair thing to say? Really great point there, Mike. This is primarily an issue of complacency rather than inexperience. You run through that one corner a hundred times a week. You know, maybe, again, I'll go back to the forest, for example, it's between the, the logging coop and the timber mill. And you run through there every time at 56 kilometres an hour. And then maybe one day you run through at 58, or maybe one day the bloke on the loader puts the heaviest log on top because you're a bit short for mass and he goes and picks up the biggest log he can get there. But something changes. And all of a sudden you're on your side. So it's not that you don't know that that corner you know, is a bit tightening on the exit or you don't know that it narrows up over that bridge. You know it, you've done it a hundred times before. It's just today you don't make it through. And so understanding what some of those changes are and also understanding how close to the limit you are. Maybe 56 is half a kilometre an hour from rolling over every day. And the CBS systems, we're giving you that data. You could drop to 52. It's going to slow the total length of your journey down by about 12 seconds. But you've bought yourself that little bit of a buffer that if the load changes or maybe a, a car squeezes you on the other side of the road, 
maybe you change your line slightly into the corner, that, that little buffer makes a huge difference. And that's why having that data feedback loop to learn from, it's really the only near-miss data I care about so far in transport, rather than learning by having trucks leaving the road, and again, too often with tragic consequences. I couldn't agree more. Thanks for joining us today, Adam. I really appreciate your time. You have a great day, mate. My absolute pleasure, Mike. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk. Hi, it's Guy. I listen to On the Road on the Oz Big Rig Road Show. Don't touch that dial. All the latest trucking news on the road up next. Just a quick word about our sponsors. Go to our webpage, www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au and you can see who the friends of the show are. And if their products are something that you are interested in or something that you may need, please support them because they support us and they bring our show to you. Hey everybody, Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On The Road Podcast on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Evening to you, Mike. So we've got the US elections grinding away in the background. We've got State of Origin about to hit. It's all happening tonight. <laughs> is that a game? Is that cricket? Is that what we're talking about? Could be cricket. It might be netball. I'm not sure. I don't know, mate. But anyway. Get on with the news. Getting into the news. <laughs> the NHVR is set to roll out the new revised, and I love this, National Heavy Vehicle Accreditation Scheme Business Rules and Standards in February 2021. That's a very long name, Mike. What does it all mean? Mate, the National Heavy Vehicle Accreditation Scheme. Now, this thing's been around since 1999. I'm actually thinking about putting a glossary of terms up on the webpage because there are so many acronyms, it's ridiculous. Mm. But it's in particular addressing the key changes being made to the Heavy Vehicle Accreditation Scheme and safety management systems to assist customers to meet the requirements under the chain of responsibility laws. As I said, this thing's been around since 1999. It's undergone a lot of changes along the way. It was a very simple thing to start off with, but it's really a benchmarking system now, which is taking something into consideration that people like me have been advocating for a long time. That is that the transport authorities will know who the competent and real people are and who the bad guys are. This is something that's been happening for a good while now. So they're going to put in requirements for crash and incident reporting of major and significant events. There's going to be a register of infringements and defect notices fit and proper person requirements as part of the assessment criteria and maintenance and sections of the actual accreditation system being revised so the daily inspection of tow couplings and drawbars and things like that's all taken into consideration. Mm. A very, very good thing. The only thing I think that they need to do is they need to let this information become publicly available so that drivers can assess who the better companies are to work for and get the good people working for the good companies. That's my opinion on that. Very cool. So it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Mate, in New South Wales, Dubbo residents have made it quite clear that they strongly oppose the planned River Street bridge across the Macquarie River when they presented a petition with over 10,000 signatures. What's all the fuss about? Old mate Ben Shields, the mayor of Dubbo, is pretty bloody annoyed about this whole thing. I can't say I blame him. The New South Wales government have put in their preferred plan of what they want to do and that's overriding what the council want to do, it's overriding what the local residents want to do and to be frank, it's overriding what a lot of trucks do. Now, 10,000 signatures doesn't sound like much, but when it's a small place like Dubbo, and when it's something that's so specific to that area, they've got a lot of individual concerns there about flood water and approaches, and who knows their traffic program and their plan better than the people at Dubbo? I'm pretty sure that someone in Sussex Street hasn't got a clue. <laughs> and Just one? You know... <laughs> The reality of it is, is that truck drivers have been going and diverting around out through narrow mines so they don't drive through the congestion of Dubbo. Mm. I mean, unless you actually have to go in there, I know myself, I personally don't want to drive through Dubbo if I don't have to. I'll go out the other way. And of course, with all the wet weather, the road out through around narrow mine, everything's been absolutely destroyed out there. Mm. The people at narrow mine are not happy. There needs to be some sensible resolution to this. So, according to old mate McLaughlin, the New South Wales government has announced River Street as its preferred location. 
but they've done it without community consultation. So this petition is an important thing. And I really do think that the state government should listen to the local people on this issue. Makes sense to me. Maybe we should be running the state. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> Someone should be. Someone should be, yeah. that's for sure. Mike, in South Australia, a state-of-the-art simulator is now available, apparently, to help train yep. truckies in the best ways to safely descend the notorious southeast freeway down track. Yeah. You've got some reservations about that. I'm all for training. I've said it a hundred times, I'm all for training. And I'm all for simulators as well. I mean, the best place to get it wrong is in a simulator, no argument. But I've read through this article. Now, anyone, as you say, when we are talking about it earlier off air, you said that anyone can go and read these stories and they can make their own mind up and have their own opinion. And I'm perfectly happy with that. But I've read through this story and they've spent $450,000 on this little project. Everyone that seems to be a politician or a leading figure in the South Australian Road Train Association or Minister for Police and Emergency Service, they're all patting themselves on the back. It doesn't tell you anywhere how to access the thing in the story. <laughs> Okay. It doesn't tell you where it is. It's in South Australia. Yeah. So maybe we'll just drive around till we find it. Narrow it down. Yeah. Narrow it down a bit. But see, in my opinion, there's nothing beats hands-on training. And the reality of it is, is a simulator is a good thing, but it's only going to train people so far. In my opinion, the best way is to get someone at the top of the hill with a loaded truck with a driving instructor sitting beside them that knows what they're doing mm. and show people how to come down the hill. But that doesn't address the problem if someone rocks up there from Brisbane who's never been down the hill before. Perhaps a little bit of better signage. Perhaps maybe designing the road properly in the first place might have been a good idea. <laughs> Who knows? That might help. Okay. I'm finished. I could go on about it. And I know that we're pressed for time, so I'll leave it there. All good. Go and read the story. Yeah, fair call. Mate, there's a nice little story in Big Wigs this week about the Little Topa Roadhouse out Broken Hillway. Yep. Apparently, it's often nominated by drivers as their favourite roadhouse. Have you been there? Mate, I've been there. I used to stop there probably twice a week a few years ago when I was running a road train up and down between Adelaide and Brisbane, carting steel. I used to stop there. Colin and uh, Barb had the show then. I haven't been out there since the new people have got it. Mm. But, mate, you'd go in there, you could, you could breast the bar and have a cold one. It was a good, homely sort of place. It was like coming home. You'd walk in the door and it was like you were just walking in the door at home. What, someone start yelling at you? <laughs> And the dog had barked because he didn't know who I was. <laughs> but a mixed grill or a steak out there was always a good thing. And I think if I was driving past today, I'd probably pull up and say good day to the new people and see what they've done to the place. It was a typical old family sort of Australian roadhouse. And it's something that's gone missing. Certainly on the UM Highway, it's gone missing. You know, it's all plastic food. Mm. But out there, it was the real deal. And I really used to enjoy it. So... That's a great little story, and it's a great piece of Australian history, that roadhouse. Yeah. And it's good to see that people like this have actually got it and taken it over and keeping it going because it's an important piece. And they're truckers uh, themselves, I believe. They're yeah. Ex-tipper drivers. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But Kim's standing there in the story in front of a big 9-0, and I don't know whether that's his or not. It might be. I think it is. Is it? I think it is, yeah. Yeah. He's obviously shifted a few gears, and that's always a bonus. At least those sort of people know what truck drivers want. So I'll give it a crack if I drive past. I'd even do a video and put it up on the web page. Just don't know when I'll get out there again, mate. It's been a long while since I've been that way. Yeah. And, mate, you asked me before if you could do a sentence on North Connects, and I said absolutely not, so go on then. <laughs> can I have a crack now, can I? <laughs> like I can stop you. Uh, mate, I'll tell you what, I've driven through the thing now twice each way yeah. in the middle of the day both times, and I would say to you that it's probably worth the toll at that time of the day. The lanes were nice and wide. It wasn't as claustrophobic as the airport tunnels. Mm. But the breakdown lane's a little bit narrow. You'd have to put your mirror up against the wall. There wouldn't be enough room. And I think they could make it a little bit better if they marked the pull-out lanes a bit better and gave you a little bit of warning. They're not really quite big enough in some places there. Some of them are huge. Mm. It'd be a lot nicer if they could give you some warning because when things go wrong in a truck, sometimes you're looking for a place to pull up pretty quick. And if you know where you can pull up and be safe and have a bit of a chance to plan what you're doing, that would be better for anyone. Yeah. I can't wait for a car to change lanes and all. It'll be a car park in there. Yeah. You know, it's got muck up written all over written it. Written all over it. it. Yeah. 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 But uh, worth 20 bucks during the day? Absolutely. I'm not convinced at 2 o'clock in the morning it will be. But uh, that's been my argument the whole time. And that's more than a sentence. I'll shut up. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that's how it's done for this week, Mike. So same time next week. 
Same time next week, same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> Keep it safe out there. We'll see you on the road. Cheers, mate. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. Leading gut specialist Dr. Vincent Ho shares his experience dealing with gut health and colon cancer right after this. When it comes to road transport, safety is everything. Seeing Machines Guardian minimises the risk of fatigue and distraction for drivers and provides real-time monitoring centre analysis and appropriate intervention. Already trusted by more than 400 of the safest road transport businesses around the world, find out how Seeing Machines Guardian can safeguard your fleet, your valuable cargo and most importantly, your drivers. Visit www.seeingmachines.com G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. Welcome to Something to Talk About. I've got Dr. Vincent Ho, the gut doctor, and I want to ask him about colon cancer testing and the risks for those of us, like me, who are over 50. How are you, Vincent? What do I need to know? Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me on your show. And look, bowel cancer is such an important topic. The reason why it's important is that it causes the second highest number of cancer deaths in Australia. It's just after lung cancer. So it's really important. The good news about bowel cancer is that 90% of bowel cancer cases can actually be cured if you pick it up early. So it's all about picking up bowel cancer early, and that's where the bowel cancer screening comes in. The great thing about bowel cancer screening in this country is that Australians between the ages of 50 and 74 are basically going to be sent out a kit every two years, what we call the Fecal Occult Blood Test Kit. So that's a little kit that's really useful for picking up early signs of bowel cancer because what it does is it looks for little traces of blood in your stools. The fecal cup blood test kit is really important in picking up some of the precursors for bowel cancer, and that's often these little growths called polyps. And if we find that on investigations, they can be cut out, and it means that somebody's risk of developing bowel cancer is significantly reduced. So it's a great thing to have that particular test kit done. I want to say that when it comes to risks for bowel cancer, probably the number one risk is going to be family history. So if you've got a family history of bowel cancer, then it's really important that you get checked out. What we know is that if you've got a first degree relative that's below the age of 50, then you should be getting your screening test done. And the screening test we're talking about here is a procedure called a colonoscopy. You should be getting that done 10 years before the age of diagnosis. So let's say you've got a mother who's been diagnosed with bowel cancer at the age of 40. That means that you should be getting your first colonoscopy at the age of 30. And that's really important. So the colonoscopy is a great test. And it's a test that is really useful in picking up those polyps that I mentioned before. Obviously, you can pick up bowel cancer. You can pick up a whole range of different things that potentially can lead to a positive fecal gut blood test result. For example, hemorrhoids. You might get a trace of blood from that, and that can lead to a positive result. But you'd rather know that it's from hemorrhoids than to not have it checked out. So if you're over 50, though, that's when you're at the greatest risk, as you say, family history. But as you get older, the risk gets greater, doesn't it? for sure. And that's when it's really a significant risk. So you're quite right, Mike, when you say that when you're 50 years and over, that's when this screening all starts with the fecal cup blood testing kits that are sent out. But also when you're over 50 and you get any concerning uh, what we call alarm symptoms, and that might mean, for example, if you notice blood in your bowel motion, it's always a bit of a concern. If you've noticed a major change in your bowel habits, then it's really important that that gets checked out. And that means seeing your local doctor in the first instance, who will probably arrange for a referral to see a specialist. You'll probably get this procedure called a colonoscopy done. I've got to mention that some other risk factors for bowel cancer, it's not just the age and family history, but it's also red meat consumption. So if you've got a lot of red meat consumption, 
particularly with processed meats, that can actually increase your risk of developing polyps and bowel cancer. If you're very overweight or obese, that's a risk factor. If you drink a lot of alcohol, you smoke, obviously those are risk factors as well. So there's some really well-known risk factors for bowel cancer that you can do something about. Well, I think you've just nailed about every other truck driver in Australia with all those symptoms, Vincent. There's a lot of us out here that are a little bit larger than we should be. There's a lot of us that are over 50, few smokers. And I'll tell you what, mate, the mixed grill is a big favourite on the Roadhouse menu. <laughs> Righto, Mike. Well, that means basically we might be seeing a lot of colonoscopies fairly soon. I mean, truck drivers, eh? It looks like there's one in my future, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us on the show, Vincent. I really do appreciate your time. You are a busy man, I know. Thanks for giving us something to talk about. It's an absolute pleasure, Mike. Thanks again for having me on your show. So that was Dr. Vincent Ho. He is a consultant gastroenterologist in Sydney with his practice down in Campbelltown. If you want to know any more about Vincent's work, visit thegutdoctor.com. That's gutdoctor.com and find out all you need to know about having a good poo. He's the man to talk to. Take care out there. We'll see you on the road. Well, that brings us to the end of another On The Road show. We hope you enjoyed it. On The Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, leading the way with specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks, and industry advocacy for more than 45 years. For all your transport insurance needs, visit the website at nti.com.au. For more On The Road news and additional features, visit our website at www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the podcast, offer suggestions, or just let us know what's on your mind, send us an email to mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Be sure to join us same time next week for the next episode on the road. In the meantime, play nice with each other, and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road are great believers in the right to freedom of speech, and whilst we might not always be in 100% agreement with the views and opinions of our guests and contributors, we firmly support their right to hold and express those opinions.